Well, I want to start our time together today um, sharing a story, and it's one of my favorite stories that my wife shares with me. Uh, It took place before she and I actually met, but um, it's one of those stories that when you hear, uh, you're kind of in disbelief that someone you know and love actually uh, did something. And so she shared this story when we were dating, uh, and it was an eye-opening story, and I thought that it would be great to set up what we're going to talk about today. Um, I personally have never had the privilege of being arrested, Um, but my wife can't say the same, and the story I'm about to share with you will forever be etched into my memory. Um, The story goes like this. When my wife was 20 years old, uh, she was in college at Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville, and one particular Saturday morning, early in the morning, she was driving back home to Lawrenceville to watch her sister Shelly play in a softball game. Now, she had her, one of her best friends, Kara, with her, who she dropped off at her home just outside of Lawrenceville. And as she was making her way through downtown Lawrenceville to go see her sister play softball, she began to notice that a cop was trailing her. And it was kind of one of those, like, cop up on you, and when you turn, they turn, and you know they're, like, running your license plate kind of thing. And so she said she began to get nervous and was like, you know, why is he sticking with me? I'm not doing anything. And so she was very attentive to make sure she wasn't speeding and she used her blinkers in uh, the correct manner. And all of a sudden it happened. The blue lights came on and her mind just was like, there's no way he's pulling me over. And literally as she tells the story, within 10 seconds of her pulling over, four other cop cars surround her vehicle. She has no clue what's going on, but she knows that something serious must be happening. So logically, in her 20-year-old mind, she says they're definitely going to want to see my license. Now, her license was in the back of her Ford Explorer in a bag that she had packed her purse in from the night before. And so she proceeded to open her car door to walk to the back of the vehicle to get her license because she knew that they would ask for the license. Not a great idea. As soon as she stepped out of the vehicle, apparently cops got out of the cars, placed their hands on their weapons, and she heard through a loudspeaker, please get back into your vehicle and close the door. She doesn't know what's happening. She closes the vehicle, and she's in a panic like, what have I done that would cause this many cops to show up? Please roll your window down. She rolls the window down. Please place both hands out of your window. She places both hands out of the window. Outside of your vehicle, please open the door to your car. She opens the door. Please step out of your vehicle. And she's like, what is going on? Turn and face your vehicle and place your hands on the door. She places her hands on the door and one cop with all of his grace walks up to my wife, Lindsay, and places her hands behind her back, places handcuffs on her, reads her her rights, and places her in the back of his police vehicle. Now, I don't know if any of your wives have this button, but my wife has this button. I call it a freak-out button. And apparently she hit that button in that moment. And she started sobbing uncontrollably. She was crying. She just went into all-out chaos mode emotionally, not knowing what was happening. As she's sitting in the back of the cop car, she sees in front of her all of these cops going through her vehicle. They're searching the vehicle. They're looking for something, and she doesn't know what they're looking for. And in her mind, she's thinking, you know, has someone put something into my car that shouldn't be there? But if they did that, there's no way they could know about it. So what's going on? She's in utter confusion. 
After a few minutes of searching her vehicle, the cop that gracefully placed her in the back of a cop car opened the door that he placed her in and says, ma'am, is that your vehicle? Now, apparently it was a windy day and my wife had done the, the kind of ugly cry that not only makes tears come out, but has snot everywhere. And apparently when she opened the door, wind comes into the back seat and hair is stuck to her face. And she says, I could literally barely see the man. And through tears, I said, could you, could you please take the hair out of my face? And so this cop is taking the hair out of her face and says, ma'am, is that your vehicle? And she said, yes. And he says, is that your license plate? And she says, I didn't have my license plate memorized like I know I should have. But when I looked at the license plate, I recognized that it was not mine. I remember seeing some letters and numbers, and that's not what I saw. Apparently what had happened is someone had stolen a vehicle that looked similar to my wife Lindsay's and had swapped license plates with her. And they saw this license plate and assumed that she had stolen this vehicle. Now, As she tells the story, she says, when I got out of the vehicle, now my wife, when she was 20 years old, she had blonde hair, blonde from a bottle. You'll notice she's not blonde now. Blonde from a bottle, blonde hair. She weighs 95 to 100 pounds. She's wearing cheerleading shorts and a t-shirt. She's like, how could they think that I would steal a car? But apparently, having a license plate of a stolen car on your vehicle is not a good thing. Now, you say, why do I tell you that story? Well, It's not extremely significant to what we're going to talk about today, but it brings up this idea in my mind of the terror that can take place in a person's life when they're handcuffed and placed into the back of a police car. See, my son Landon, over the last couple of weeks, has been placing me in children's handcuffs. Okay, I've never been placed in handcuffs before. Probably when I was a kid, I was. I don't remember it, but... Having my hands placed in handcuffs was not a comforting thing, knowing that my four-year-old son had keys, and I thought that I would be stuck in these things, and I was saying, you better make sure you don't lose those keys until I found this nifty switch that lets them open on their own in the case that they do lose the keys. But I got to thinking how much I disliked being in handcuffs. And then my friend Will, he's, he's in our Synergy group, and we spend time together. In the last couple of weeks, he's, um, his business, which transforms vehicles into cop cars, uh, took a Dodge Durango and transformed it into a cop car. It was a work of art, and he brought it to our group, and, and I got to sit in the back of this cop car. Now, he, he took and put the whole windshield thing so where there's a divider between the front and the back, and there's no leg room for a tall guy, Okay. I can imagine being handcuffed behind my back in the back seat of a cop car and just the discomfort. Listen, I'm kind of a claustrophobic. I don't like to be like confined in spaces. I don't like to not know I've got an out. When I go sit in a restaurant, I, like I want my back to the wall so I can see the door. So if something goes down, I know like where my exit points are. That's me. And I can imagine having that experience and just how much I would dislike it. Now, here's, here's the truth, and here's where I'm going with this. Before we became Christians, we all were in bondage. We were in chains. We were enslaved to something called sin. 
Now, I want to read a passage of scripture for us this morning and just share a simple thought with you that hopefully will help transform the way you look at being a Christian. See, we're in the last week of this series called Stop Acting Like a Christian. And the heartbeat of the series is that Christian is less about what you do and more about who you are. And so we have a tendency to want to do things to cause people to think things so that we can feel certain ways about ourselves and the way we measure up against other Christians, whether we're good or bad in their eyes. But Christian is less about what you do and more about who you are. And so I want to read this scripture that hopefully is going to help us in our walks with Jesus. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you want to live a godly life, I pray that today's helpful for you. This scripture is found in Galatians chapter 5. It was written by a man named Paul. We talk about Paul often. He wrote about half of the New Testament. And he wrote a letter to a church in the city of Galatia. And in this letter, he is expressing some concerns to them. Now, let me start with Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse number 1. Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is huge. This was, a, this was a verse of scripture that I learned when I was a young child. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Listen to the instructions to the church. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Isn't that important instructions for us? It is for freedom that you've been set free, so stand firm in your freedom and do not be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, let me kind of illustrate some things that I want to talk to us about today. Before we were Christians, we were in bondage. Okay? And sin, if you, if you don't have background with the church, if you don't, uh, if sin sounds like a churchy word, you don't really know what that is. Sin is a word that means that we miss the mark. It's kind of an archery term. Like if you're in an archery competition and you miss the bullseye, then you sinned. Okay? You miss the mark when it comes to following Jesus, that your life didn't hit the bullseye. You made mistakes. We're all there. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have sinned. But before we came to Christ... We were in bondage to sin. Sin controlled us. Sin led our lives. Sin was the driving force behind us. We would never admit that on a lot of occasions because a lot of times sin can be fun. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin, but only for a season. And some of us have enjoyed times of sin and sin has felt freeing and rebelling against life in general felt so intoxicating at times. And we loved times in sin, but sin always has a price and we always pay a price that we never thought that we would pay. And sin ultimately has us in bondage. Okay. So Paul says it is for freedom. It's for freedom that you've been set free. In other words, you don't have to live a life enslaved by sin. Okay. That's great news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. Now, Here's where I have always misunderstood this scripture, okay? Because in my mind, even from the time I was young, hearing this scripture, here's what I just assumed, okay? Because a lot of times this verse is used out of the context that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. I assumed it is for freedom that I've been set free. So I've been freed from the bondage of sin in my life. So I'm supposed to stand firm then and not let myself be burdened any longer with the yoke of slavery. In my mind, thinking, I was freed for sin, you better do everything in your power not to be back there. 
You ever thought that? You ever had that? I want to I resist sin. I do not want to be enslaved any longer. I want to do everything I can to keep from going back into that sin because that sin is what held me captive and I'm free now. And so I've got to make sure I do everything I can so that I'm not held captive again. I lived a lot of my life trying to resist all that. Now listen, that's not bad. That's, that's a good approach. If that's your approach to life, it's, it's a good approach. It's a good approach. We shouldn't go back to sin. Sin, sin is dangerous. Um, uh, throughout today, I, I never want you to leave having thought that I say that sin is not a big deal. Okay? Sin is a big deal. Scripture teaches us certain things are sins. We know that we've been freed from sin, so that means because we've placed our faith in someone who's called us out of sin, the things that the Bible defines as sin, we shouldn't want to go back to. That's, that's natural. That should be natural. But what threw me for a loop, especially this week as I was studying, is the very next verse that Paul followed this up by. Okay, Because in my mind, I'm thinking, I've been freed from sin, so don't go back into that sin and become slave to it again. But listen to the next verse. He says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And I was like, what's that got to do with not going back into sin? Right? I've been freed from sin, so hey, mark my words, don't get circumcised, or Christ will be of no value to you at all. <laughs> and I just, it just hit me. It just hit me like a ton of bricks, especially this week. That Paul here isn't telling us, don't go back over here and get into bondage with sin. Like, that should be natural. We know that. We should detest sin. Sin is something that's in our past. We've been rescued and freed from sin. Don't return to sin. That's natural. We get that. I think we know that and we understand that. But listen to what Paul is telling us and teaching us. I want to make it clear to you today. When, when Peter... In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, stood up in front of multitudes in Jerusalem at a feast of Pentecost and began to declare to the masses of people the good news of Jesus Christ. The scripture says that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Okay, It goes on and says that the, uh, it was added to the number of the church daily, those who were being saved. The church began to grow. This movement that started in Jerusalem began to spread. Now, there were Jewish people who had received the message of Jesus. Now, Jewish people live life under the Mosaic law. Okay, There were laws that were specific that told them what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, where they could go, where they couldn't go, what they had to wear, what they shouldn't wear, things they should do, things they shouldn't do. And it was a laundry list, like 613 items in the law that they lived their lives according to. So when these Jewish people received the message of Jesus, Peter went to them and encouraged them and preached them and said, it's not the law that you find your hope in, it's Jesus. And Jesus has uh, come, he's the Messiah, he fulfills the law, and he began to explain to this Jewish group what that meant. But Paul, Paul was sent by God to the Gentiles. Now Jews and Gentiles didn't get along, and Gentiles were not subject to the Mosaic law. They didn't claim to be Jewish people. They didn't claim to follow Moses' law, the law that was given for them to live their life according to. So while the Jews thought living according to these laws, obeying these laws, uh, holding these standards true in my life is what makes me righteous in the eyes of God, the Gentiles over here, they were just like, you know, y'all crazy, we're just going to do our own thing. They were just lost altogether, okay? So 
the message of the gospel began to spread and, and the Gentiles received the message of Jesus. Okay, so get this. Jewish people who had lived their lives, who grew up under the law, received Jesus. And then a group of Gentiles began to accept the message of Jesus. They placed their faith in Christ, but they weren't subject to that law. What happened was some of the Jewish Christians began to hear that Gentiles had received the message of Jesus. And at first they were like, that's incredible, that's great, even the Gentiles are being saved. But in an effort to try to help them become better Christians, what did they do? They began to come to them and say, now I know that you've heard the message of Jesus and you've accepted that and that's great and all, but what you've got to do is you've got to start applying these laws to your life as well. And so it was kind of like Jesus plus the law. One of the laws apparently in particular that was an issue was the law of circumcision. And all Jews were required to be circumcised. And Gentiles, of course, didn't live under that law. And so you can imagine a group of grown men accepting the message of Jesus and having someone come and say, you know, that's great and all, but we're going to need you to get circumcised to make it official. And you can imagine just the tension that that caused between them. And what Paul is saying here is, if you Gentiles let yourself be circumcised, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Now let's be honest, 613 laws that these religious Jews lived according to were never kept by even the best Jew. You can imagine having 613 laws, like you're going you're gonna to mess up every once in a while. You're going to do something wrong just because you might have forgot one. And now they're going to a group of people who never even claimed to be under that law, and they're saying, hey, we know you've heard the message of Jesus, but you're going to have to start doing some things that we've done. I mean, if we had to get circumcised, you've got to get circumcised, and that's in the law, and so you should just do it, and let's make it happen. Now, I'll be the first to say, I don't want to lead that ministry, but apparently there were some people that were leading that charge, and it became a big deal. And Paul is saying to these people, it is for freedom you've been set free. Don't subject yourself to the burden of slavery any longer. What's he saying? When you began to place rules and regulations and laws on a relationship, you're confining it to something that you're never going to be able to live up to. You're taking the joy out of the grace that God's given you. He goes on in verse 4 to say, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Scripture teaches us that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. When we couldn't live up to a law, Jesus came and gave his life for us. He gave us grace. He didn't hold our sins against us. He gave us new life in him. His grace was poured out on us undeserved. And now these Gentiles were being told, now you've got to subject yourself back to the law. You've got to live up to some standards that we've been living according to. I like to kind of envision it this way. Let's say that 
Let's say you've met the love of your life. Many of you have. Congratulations. And you've been married and you've started your life together. And let's say that you come back from your honeymoon and you're sitting down over dinner one night and you're reflecting on the time that you've spent together up to that point. And it's been glorious. I mean, you've been sending flowers and you've talked on the phone days on end and you spent all of your waking hours together and you have so many memories already. And you say to one another, listen, we know that half of the marriages in this country are going to end in divorce and we do not want that to happen to us. So let's do this. Let's look back on what's made us fall so much in love with one another and let's just make a list of things that we want to make sure that we do so that we do not become one of those statistics. And the wife says to the husband, you remember the first time we ever even expressed interest in one another? You remember that? We were, in the, we were on campus and we took a walk across campus and that was the first time that you held my hand and you told me you were interested and you asked me out on a date. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I remember that's so great. We should take a walk every day. And it will remind us of that time when we first fell in love. Well, let's do that. We'll put that on the list. We'll take a walk every day and that will just remind us and we'll never forget how special that was to us. Oh, do you remember the first time you told me you loved me on the phone? Oh, I can't believe that was just such an incredible moment in my life. I remember it like it was yesterday. Let's add that to the list. Let's say that every time we talk on the phone, we have to say, I love you before we hang up because that'll just remind us that we have such an incredible love for one another. Okay, so we're gonna take walks every day and every time we talk on the phone, we both have to say, I love you before we get off the phone. That's really, really, really important. You remember the, the first movie we saw together? Remember it was John Q and he was like, he was the dad of this little boy that was playing baseball and he had a heart condition. And remember what the little boy said to the dad? And he said, you know, it's never goodbye. It's always see you later. Remember that was one of our favorite movies, the first movie. So let's never say goodbye. We'll always say see you later because that'll remind us that goodbye is not for us, that we'll always be coming back together even if we're apart. So, so we're always gonna take walks together and we're always gonna say I love you before we get off the phone and we'll never say goodbye. We'll always say see you later. And you keep going down all the memories that you have in your time together. And you have this list. I mean, it's a long list. And it's a good list. It's a list that reminds you of some really important memories that you have together. And you begin to look back on your life after five years of marriage. And your marriage isn't like everything you dreamed that it would be. And you look back and you're like, well, I don't understand. Like, how did we drift apart because we were so intentional to do all the right things. And when we started out, we, we took walks every day. We always said, I love you before we hang up. We never said goodbye. It was always see you later. You know, we never went to certain places because we have people that we dated and went to those places and that's no-nos. We didn't do that. We've never done that. And that's been good, right? It's kept us together. But you find yourself arguing because you're like, hey, you didn't tell me you loved me before you hung up the phone. What was that about? You're like, I'm sorry, somebody came in the room and I was in a meeting and I was just in a hurry. You're like, that's not cool. You better say, I love you the next time we talk on the phone. And then like somebody got sick and you couldn't take a walk and you're like, I'm tired of the excuses. It's been three days and we haven't taken a walk. We have to walk to remind ourselves that we love one another. Don't you remember? We made a commitment. We would remind ourselves that we love each other by taking walks every day. And we haven't done that in three days. What's wrong with us? 
stronger than I thought. Either that or have fat wrists. Do you see the problem with a list approach to a relationship? Great intentions, all the best motivations, but what we sometimes subscribe ourselves to with the greatest of intentions sometimes works against the relationship that we try to preserve the most. And after five years of marriage, it's possible for us to have 613 items on a list and try with everything within us to do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things. And we can have a relationship that's strained and not great because we haven't nourished the relationship itself. And we haven't focused on the intimacy of the relationship with one another. We focused on a set of rules from the past that help dictate in our minds what the future will be. And what are we doing? We're walking around in chains. Now, I know some of you men, like your friends, were like, there's the old ball and chain. You've got that line. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about living your life in such a way that though you're supposed to be free, you willingly subject yourself to laws that you can never live up to in an attempt to have a relationship that's genuine and authentic, and it doesn't work. And Paul says to this group of Gentiles, mark my words, if you get circumcised, you have no use for Christ. In fact, if you'll go back and read the book of Galatians, starting in chapter number one, he is pretty heated from the beginning of this letter with this group of Gentile Christians who he had proclaimed the good news to, and they received the message, and he's actually saying now that they are being preached a false gospel. And he's saying, cursed is the man that would preach a false gospel that requires something in addition to Jesus. It's Jesus alone that you find your salvation in. And this group of Gentiles had found themselves so in love with Jesus and this brand new relationship and now they're being taught, oh yeah, and by the way, you've got to do these certain things and oh, stop doing that and yeah, that's got to change and you've got to quit doing that and before they knew it, they're like, you know, I was in chains over here in sin and God rescued me from that but now I find myself still in chains and the freedom that Christ has given me, I'm not living in that freedom because I'm being imprisoned by these legalistic tendencies and habits that I subject myself to. I lived a lot of my life this way. I can remember a time in my life where reading my Bible was a law. If I didn't read my Bible before I went to bed, I felt evil. I felt like I didn't do what I was supposed to do and God wasn't happy with me. So there were many times that I would grab a Bible and just flip through and read a couple of verses as I was half asleep and throw my Bible on my dresser just to say I did something. I can remember times when prayer for me was, was more of a duty, an obligation, than an opportunity to speak one-on-one -on -one personally with the creator of the universe, with a God who loved me so much that he gave his own son for me. I have an invitation to speak to him personally. And for me, it was a chore. It was like work. It was like something I had to do. And I can remember 
Listen, I can remember in college when I started dating a girl and she got in my truck after we had gone and watched the sunrise and it was just some beautiful morning and we were starting a relationship together. And I can remember when she changed my radio station from 104.7 to Fish and you should have just seen the fireworks that went up because you don't touch my radio because I only listen to Christian music. Don't do that again. And I found myself for a lot of years in my life living subject to rules and regulations and legalisms that I thought dictated the health of the relationship that I had with Jesus. But truth be told, I wasn't really free. Was I a Christian? Absolutely. Did I love Jesus? You better believe it. But I was willingly subjecting myself to something that I have been freed from. And in churches all across America and all across the world, we teach Christianity as behavior modification. And we say, hey, congratulations on being a Christian. Now here's your list. Don't mess up. Congratulations. You place your faith in Jesus. Here are your rules. And the world looks at the church and thinks we're a bunch of hypocrites because we try to hold people to standards that we don't even keep ourselves. And they say, why in the world would I want to become a Christian when I have to walk around like this? They think there's no fun in being a Christian. They think that you have to give up everything enjoyable in life and you have to live this life of poverty and there's no pleasure because we teach rules and regulations rather than relationship. And Paul says, it's for freedom that you've been set free. Do not place on yourselves again the, the burden of slavery. Not talking about the sin you came from, but he's talking about your approach with God. He's saying you've got to have a genuine, heartfelt, one-on-one, personal relationship with Jesus. The law isn't going to do for you what Jesus and his grace can do for you. Again, The Bible teaches us certain things are sin. I'm not saying that you have a freedom to go out and do anything that you want to do. And you can party and you can waste your life away and God doesn't care because he's clearly outlined what sin is in some areas in our life. And we've been freed from that, okay? Don't forget that and don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about in an attempt to grow in our faith and to love Jesus more and to please him more. We don't do it by following rules. We don't do it by subjecting ourselves to the law. In fact, in Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 10, Paul poses this question. He says, am I, trying, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I think we act like Christians because we want other Christians to think that we're better Christians than we really are. And we think if we can just do the right things and avoid the wrong things, then we'll be great Christians and everybody will be happy. And so we all live these fake lives on some levels. People don't know the real us on some levels because we're afraid if they know the real us, you know, we'll get an X on our report card and we'll have like, you know, you need to work on this. We're afraid to be ourselves. And I'm just saying, Christian is about who you are. It's not about what you do. Live your life free 
enjoy the freedom that's found in Christ based on the grace that he has gifted you with because of the faith that you've placed in him. Are you going to make mistakes? Yes. Do you need to grow and repent from those mistakes? Absolutely. But you're not going to grow in a relationship with Jesus. And as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, close the gap from who you want to be and who you're expected to be to who you really are. You're not going to do that by following rules. You're going to do it by getting to know the God that you love and serve. So my prayer for us as we close out this series is that we would stop acting like Christians. That Christian would not be something we do, but someone that we are. And not feel like we have to act a certain way in front of certain groups of people so that we can win their approval. Because it's God's approval that, we'll see, that we're seeking, not man's. And if a bunch of rules could create healthy Christians, then we, didn't need, we don't need Christ to begin with. Here's, here's just the last thought for you. If rules are all that were needed to become a Christian and to be a great Christian, you could follow all the rules without being a Christian and there would be no need for Christ to begin with. That's not his plan for us. You can follow all the right rules. Good for you. That's great. It might make you a good person. I think even if you're not a Christian, there's principles in the Bible that are worth following just because they make sense and they're wise. But if you want to genuinely love Jesus and follow him, it's got to become less about the rules and more about the relationship. So yes, you might not watch as much Sports Center in front of your wife just because you know that she hates it. And if you love her enough, you might notice that she's in the room and just say, what would you like to watch, baby? And when it comes to God, it might not be so much, you know, I know that you hate this and I can't do that, so I'm just going to sit over here and be bored with my life. But it would be more about, God, what do you love? That's what I want to do. Let's pray together. Father, you are incredible. And I'm so thankful for the grace that you've given us in Christ. And my prayer for us all is that we would experience the freedom that you've designed for us through salvation. That we would be rescued and freed from the bondage and the slavery of sin. But we wouldn't burden ourselves with slavery and being burdened by rules and regulations as a means to dictate a healthy relationship with you. Free us from that mindset, Lord. Help us to experience life through your eyes. Help us to get to know you more and serve you wholeheartedly. Not because we have to, not because it's a duty, but because it's a privilege and an honor to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords.